You know, all things come on God's time and not on my time, because I gave you an example when I got in charge. When I stepped back off and said, oh, God, let me be in charge. I got high. Before they get in your business, be in charge in your business. Own it because it's your business, your business, business. Handle all in your business, value all in your business. Welcome back, y'all, because you must have just came from yesterday's show, Thursday. You're tapping in today with us for the full conversation with the Hall of Famer, the champion, the legend, Spencer Haywood. And it's really crazy to talk to people that have lived at a certain time frame because he's seen, as you guys have heard from when the NBA started in a sense of traveling commercial, lower salaries, he lived that, and now fast forward to, he sees where the NBA is now, a billion dollar business. So I wanna to talk to him about the then and now because the WNBA is where he was when he was playing in the NBA. So we're gonna talk about it. Tap in with us, amazing conversation. Let's get it. We have a legend in the building, all right? Spencer Haywood, he was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in September 2015. And we're gonna get into everything. I don't even feel comfortable saying just Spencer. So Mr. Spencer Legend, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. And what an honor to be on your show because you have uh, shown me what the movement is all about nowadays and to show me that uh, young people and a young person such as yourself can uh, you know steer the nba guys and the wnba girls to something higher than what was normal at that time wow thank you legend oh my goodness thank you and when i say legend i want people to really understand like this hall of famer won a championship iconically with the Lakers, but you have so much history and where the NBA finals is going on right now. And everyone knows that the Denver Nuggets, there's a lot of talk about like, this could be the year Miami heat. They're battling out with them. You have some deep rooted history with the Denver Nuggets. I mean, a legend in your own right. Can you just talk about your time there? Where were they when you were playing for the Nuggets? Well, what happened, if I can back up a, a tad bit, because I was promoted as the young phenom in basketball at that time. And what happened was in the, in the 1968 Olympics, when Kareem boycotted the 68 Olympics, they came and got me to take his place. And I was 18 at that time. I turned 19 at the games and we won the gold medal. I set all, I set five records in that uh, gold medal run. Whoa, whoa. I'm not about to let you skip none of the greatness, okay? Do you know what the five records are? Do you even remember? Because sometimes. Yes. Well, the first one was the, the most points in Olympic history uh, in the single game series. I think it was 156 or 140, 156, I think. And so later it, it was broken by Kevin Durant in 2012, but he has an asterisk by it because he was shooting threes and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, I set the highest field goal percentage 
in the history of America. It's still. Oh, so you was in the zone. What what was the percentage? <laughs> I shot seventy two percent from the field, and I broke the record in block shots. How many of those? I don't know that one. But, okay. Uh, okay. And so from there, I left and I I went back to the University of Detroit. And at that time, we had just came out of the riots in Detroit. Mm. So I was coming home for to try to save our city because our city had gotten gotten burned down. And so uh, at the University of Detroit, we were in the independent league. I I got out there and averaged 33 points per game and 23 rebounds per game in Division One. Wow. And we played independence. We played uh, Notre Dame, all of the greats. And so right away, uh, the draft came up that year and the NBA and the ABA went after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem decided at the last minute that, well, you know, I think I'm I'm not going to the ABA because I want to go to the NBA. And so he signed with the Milwaukee Bucks. And now Hannah Storm's father, Mike Storm, says, well, wait a minute. We got to get somebody to come in and save the ABA because we're going to go out of business if we don't. And we need a we need something to pull a draft, you know, pull together draft picks before they get to the NBA. So the guy that we need, we need to talk Spencer Haywood into leaving college and coming to play with Denver as part of our global marketing scheme for the ABA. And I signed with Denver thinking, yeah, this would be a nice chance for me to play basketball, get my mother out of the cotton field. Because my mother, I had left home when I was 15 because uh, I was living in Silver City, Mississippi, which is just cotton fields and no city, no nothing. And my mother was picking cotton for $2 a day. My family had been picking cotton for over, over 100 years to just did that slave work. So... I wanted to make a difference and I signed with Denver. And the idea was to, uh, if I could get uh, seven rebounds and maybe 10 points, it would be a, a successful journey. And then we could go after Julius Irvin and all the other guys the next year. So let me pause and just say your rookie year at Denver, you played in 84 regular season games and you averaged 45 minutes, side note. So you was out there on the court. You averaged 30 and 19 rebounds. I want people to understand. They wanted you to get 7 and 10. You came in and averaged 30 and 19. All right, go ahead. I just want to make sure. 30 and 19. I was the rookie of the year. I was the leading scorer, leading rebounder, MVP of the league, and MVP of the All-Star game. Wow. And the only person that ever came close to that kind of performance in a rookie year was Wilt Chamberlain. So I'm up there with Wilt on that level. And so we we bailed out the ABA, and then all of a sudden you had Julius Irvin, uh, George Gervin, all of those guys says, hey, man, I'm not waiting for four more years in college. I'm leaving after my second year, my first year, and they came into the, the ABA, and that's when the ABA got its sea legs. But in the meantime, uh, Denver owner, says to me, well, you know, I want to make you the highest paid player in the world. What? Like, okay, let's Listen, do it. Listen, talk to me nice. How much was that? Let's drop it on me. So 
he signed me to a contract and I was trusting, you know, like, okay, you're doing the right thing because I'm the MVP and I just saved your league. I just saved your franchise. So they get it put together this contract that they would put $15,000 into Wall Street and over 50 years or so, the Wall Street would create the $1.5 million back then that would pay me. And so how that contract was written was that I would get the 75000 to 100000 per year. That's back in the 70s. So and they not- wanted you to be the high. I know there's going to be inflation and different things of that nature that would change it. But the highest paid player at that time, which should have been you, you're making seventy five to one hundred. Yeah, well, it was supposed to be two hundred and fifty thousand per year. But what happened is they put in clauses in the contract that state that I would get paid from age fifty to age seventy from the Rockets. And not only that, but in there's another clause in that contract that says I had to be employed by Ringsby Truck Line, who owned the team, the Rockets team. So it was a totally fraudulent contract, and there's no way it was going to come to, an, you know, it's going to, like, put $15,000 in this program called the Dog Off Program. I, I, I would say it's a, a Bernie Madoff deal. Wow. And it was supposed to generate that money, and that's why it was the, the headlines was like, Haywood is the highest-paid player, and I refuse to play. Uh, get paid like Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell because at that time they were arguing over who was going to be the highest paid player. And uh, Wilt Chamberlain got 125 for the year and Bill Russell said, I'm not playing unless I get paid more. And Bill, and Red Arback gave him $1 more <laughs> the highest paid player. It's like trading spaces. It's like the, the dollar bet almost in trading spaces. This is old school ball. So this is nice <laughs> and stuff. I go into the office with my newfound lawyer and friend, Al Ross. We're, we're going in, but they're going, they, they're going to straighten this contract out. Man, this is no big deal. So I walk in, and, and we're trying to negotiate and straighten the contract out and get the dollar amount of the contract. That owner was an old trucker, you know, who built his business on wildcatting and stuff. He said, you get your ass out of here. And take that Jew lawyer with you. What? I'm not going to correct this contract. I'm not doing nothing. Because, listen, you can't go back to college because you left early. Mm. And you can't go to the NBA because the NBA have a four-year rule that states that you cannot play until your four years of, after high school. Wow. So you got me. So you got me between a rock and a hard place. And so right away, this guy, Sam Schulman, who owned the Seattle Supersonics, who had just gotten that franchise, it was Seattle and Phoenix who had just gotten the expansion franchise. Mm-hmm. The Phoenix Suns came over and they got Connie Hawkins, the MVP, just before me. And they took him over to Phoenix out of the ABA. And so Sam Schulman says, I'm taking the next ABA MVP. And it took me but I was an underclassman. So right away, I signed with Seattle to uh, play with the Sonics, and the NBA slammed me with a letter stating that we have a lawsuit against you, stating that you can't play in the league until your class has graduated 
from college. Wow, that's a WNBA rule right now, actually. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just here I am saying, well, oh man, what am I going to do? And so Sam Schulman said, I'm going to pay you just to sit out. Hmm. Oh, I want to play, man. Can we fight this? Because I had just came out of the Olympics with Tommy Smith and John Carlos, and I was a young player with with those guys and listening and watching them go through all of their stuff. An iconic Olympics. That 1968 Olympics is iconic. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, I got to fight for this rights. And uh, so I sued the NBA for the rights to play. Yeah, the uh, 1971 Supreme Court case. Are you, is that what you're referring to? Because we had Sonny Vaccaro come on the show previously. He He's kind of the grandfather of name, image, and likeness with the impact in college. You had your own history that you made um, because, uh, spoiler alert, I'm gonna let you tell it, but what happened when, what happened when y'all went to court? <laughs> Well, first we, we started off, we went into court and um, they got an injunction for 10, 10 games. So I sat at home and I just worked out continuously like I'm going to get in because I'm going to get an injunction against the league for 10 games. So I got the injunction later for 10 games to play. And I'm thinking, wow, they're going to love me. So I walk out on the floor <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm so happy to be playing again. And they says, well, ladies and gentlemen, we have an illegal player on the floor, number 24. No. This game is being played on the protest. That's the announcer. And I was like, whoa. And so what did the, how did the crowd react? Like, did people cheer? They start throwing bottles. They start throwing everything. Oh, my God. Go back to college. What are you doing? You're messing up basketball. This ain't no ABA. This is the real game. And I was like, yeah, this. I'm going to beat up all of your players just like I beat up <laughs> the guys in, in the NBA. Not physically, but I mean basketball. Right. I can't wait to play against Will. I can't wait to play against Elgin Baylor and, and Oscar Robertson. Give me, bring them all. I'm the new guy. I'm the new thing. And then they got another 10-day game injunction. Then the following, they got an, I got an injunction to play again and we got to, we get to Cincinnati and their injunction was let's put him out in the snow so they put me out in the snow what do you mean what you mean put you out in the snow this injunction read tonight we can't allow him to be in the arena or in the locker room or on the ground they didn't even which... let you in the building is what you're saying they didn't even let you inside the no they put me outside and I'm standing out in the snow because they let me warm up first. And I had nothing but my warm-up gear on. So I'm standing out there freezing like, oh, my God, what is going on? Why are they doing me so bad? And the police who were guarding me said, get in the car because you're dying out here and you're going to freeze. So I got in the car and we, we finally got maneuvered all the way to the Supreme Court. And when we got to the Supreme Court, Thurgood Marshall uh, made the statement that we allow young men to go to Vietnam to fight in the war at age 18 and to 20, 22. But yet this man can make a living for his family who is in object poverty in Mississippi. So let's look under the Sherman Antitrust Act. And let's allow him to play basketball. So that's how I won my case. Wow. Come on, man. You better. And from this case, from from 1971, uh, April 1st to 19, to, until now, it has created over $50 billion in players' salary. 
that players alone get. And by that, let me give you an example. I hate to use LeBron, but I'm going to have to. Okay. LeBron is getting 50 million a year. Mm-hmm. He's got four extra years to make that fifth. So he's $200 million richer because of me. Yeah. Your case allowed all the athletes on the men's side. It set the president that now an athlete can choose whether they stay for one year, whether they don't go, whether they stay for two years. You are the case that allowed us to see the one and dones and the different things. Kevin Durant of the world, um, LeBron James. We know like there's a large group of superstars, Kobe Bryant, who opted not to go to school. They thought that they were ready for the league and they were. That's what the case, the 1971 Supreme Court case that you won. Yeah. Wow. It, it allowed all of these players. And then you you have the guys like uh, Michael Jordan who says, well, I'll play for three years, but I'm going to come out under that Spencer Haywood rule. Magic Johnson, two years. So it go, it, it, it changed the game of basketball. Now, with all of the fighting that the NBA did, the NBA was like rolling at... 14 to 16 teams at that time when we when we won the case, all of a sudden the NBA says, oh, my God, we can expand because more players coming in. <laughs> so all of a sudden the owners, the teams were, that were worth, worth about, uh, you know, say half a billion dollars, they jumped to a billion dollars in ownership. And all of a sudden we, we put in uh, another, I think, 12 teams. Wow. Because of the the workforce was available then. All the things that you're talking about that you were living through, even the salaries, it's almost the current state of the WNBA now. And I know that when you were playing, I don't know how old was the league when you were playing in the 1970s and the 1980s, but the WNBA is about 27. I think it's our 27th year in the WNBA. Yeah. So a lot of the things that you're discussing now are our current real reality like did you guys you guys i'm sure took commercial flights you didn't fly private did you did you take normal flights or did you take a like how did you travel we traveled um earlier and then but we 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 took commercial and and when i was all the way up until my latter years we we traveled commercial airlines and uh and the players that were getting the most minutes they flew first oh they flew they flew first class yeah, and here I am. I was the MVP of the league, and I had to ride in the back. Oh my goodness! And why, wait, why was that then? I thought you said the players yeah, played I had the best. The projectors. I had all of the films, equipment, and my gym bag. I was like, "Whoa, y'all trying to kill me!" But yeah, you had to. You, you did commercial. When I got to the Knicks, we started doing charter because New York was a hub, so you could charter in and out. And did all teams start to do charter at the same time? No, they slowly moved into it. Different teams start to move into it. Latter part of the 80s, they started to do charters and charters. So you were one of the first groups that, because you went to New York, they were a big hub, so they were one of the first ones to have a charter? Charter, right. Wow, because it's crazy now, because if you look at the NBA now, I mean, you're, I'm still like, you know what I mean? It's crazy, the growth, and that's what almost excites me, because like I said, you're meant everything you're talking about, the lifestyle you you were living when you played. That's the lifestyle that I lived when I played in the WNBA. And I just retired two years ago. We fly charter, um, you know, like the salaries, even, you know, if you used inflation, your salary comps will be around five hundred thousand um, dollars in today's age. Like that's, you know, the WNBA maximum contract is around two hundred and eighty three thousand. So 
in your lifetime, you've watched the NBA explode into this billion dollar business, pretty much. That's not necessarily how it was when you were playing. Yeah. But, you know, the wonderful thing about it is I had a big part in that whole explosion of the business aspect because I refused to when I got to the Seattle Supersonics again, the players were asked asking for 225 and i said my contract in denver was 250 if you can't pay me 250 cash i'm not playing i'm i'm going through court so i can just fight another battle wow you was like i'm going to take it to the courts i'm out here winning and i love that court <laughs> he said oh please give him the money and let him go. <laughs> and so all of a sudden the next year all of the guys elvin hayes and everybody well i want the same contract that haywood got wow and that's how those salaries started to escalate and it just grew out of that. Did y'all have a union when you were playing, like a player? Union? Yeah, we had a union. Um, just at that time in 1964, let me give you a little history of the 64 uh, walkout. In 1964, the NBA All-Star Game was being played, I think, in Boston. And Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and all of them said, the game is on national television. This is the first big national televised game for the All-Star Game. Wow. We're not going to play. <laughs> <laughs> and the cameras are outside rolling, so everybody's running around negotiating. What are we going to do? How? We, they got to get on the floor. And they says, well, we want a union. Mm. And that's how the union started. Oh, in that was so they knew they had them. Wow. And so that's how the union was formed when, okay, the all-star game, they was like, we're not playing in the game until we have a player's union to represent our voices. What were they fighting for at that particular moment that they it was like, just, uh, you know, just healthcare, all of the, the same thing that you guys are fighting for right now. Uh, or maybe you have all of those things, but it was those basic things. And, and just to have the right to have a union, Wow. was like so, so big and such a key thing for everybody. So that's when all the players boycotted and Oscar Robinson was one of the leaders and Jerry West. And those guys said, we got to have a union. It's crazy because so Jerry West, I'm from West Virginia. And so is Jerry West. And so I linked up with him. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I linked up with Jerry West at NBA Summer League. And, you know, like he was just telling me how one of the things that he learned long ago was that he was going to use his voice for and make it have more of an impact because, you know, he was a, a white man speaking for these things. And so to hear you say that right now, that's kind of crazy because, you know, he it's kind of like the kids say no cap. Like he was telling all the facts like he was doing it as a player, not only when, you know, and after. Yeah. Jerry West, beside being the logo for the NBA, he has been a fighter through all of this stuff. And so, so, so Jerry West is, is a little teed off these days because he and I are the, the two villains in the, the movie that's on HBO, the series on HBO, Winning Time. Uh -huh. Why are y'all the villains? I, I haven't seen it. Why are well, villains? I'm the villain because, uh, you know, uh, in 1980, um, I, I, I slipped into substance abuse and I started using cocaine and it was during the playoffs that I got real sick and uh, the team asked me to stay at home for the last two games. Mm. 
And so Jerry West was our general manager, him and Bill Sharman. So uh, they making Jerry West in this in this HBO movie like uh, making him look like he's a madman throwing things around. Wow. And, and he was not that kind of a person. And yet, I, you know, and when I had a big outing with with Kareem and all of us, we had our big reunion this past summer. They were like, well, it didn't lie on you. I was like, <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil is what they said. So I mean, and I was like, you know what I said? Yeah, they didn't lie to me. I was, I was screwed up. I was like so bad. I mean, I mean, so how did you? But how did you get to where? I mean, I didn't know that history about you. So how did you get? But I slipped out. Of, I slipped into that that particular year, and it was like freebasing cocaine, and I slipped into that craziness, and then after that. I, I came out of it because I had to go to Africa. And at that time, I was also married to Iman, the fashion model. I know you're lying. Yeah, you we did okay married. for yourself. Please. You did all right. So you was married to a supermodel. You was living the fast life is what it sounds like. You, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, of course. Because yeah. it sounds like even on Snowfall, you went to Africa to kind of get yourself back. Yeah, I went back to Africa and studied throughout Africa and got my history intact because I was and I was also was was at that time Imam was like, you know, you need to see a psychiatrist. And I was black folks in America, we don't see no psychiatrists. What are you talking about? Take that back to Africa. Anyway. (laughs) So I okay, I'll go. I'll go. So I start going to see this psychiatrist, you know, and we would just talk and talk. And then she started talking about my childhood in Mississippi, what happened mm. and what went down there. Uh, and I, I have a half white sister that we was well, we wouldn't we didn't talk about. My mother was raped at 12. This is the first time I'm ever talking oh, about wow. this. OK, um, she was raped as a 12 year old. So it was just so much stuff I had to let go of. And then all of that lawsuit stuff, I had so much stuff that happened to me during that process and how they would treat me afterwards, you know? Oh, there's the troublemaker. There's the clubhouse lawyer. He's this guy. He's that guy. And so I started and I and I got through it. And then I just fell in love with it. And so I've been in mental health now for 39 years. I have 39 years of sobriety. Beautiful. My young daughter who played at Northern Illinois University, Shakira, she would go with me to see my my mental health specialist. Mm-hmm. She, she tell me not to say the word <laughs> mental health specialist. So I, I would go. She would go with me. I have four daughters. I have no boys. Girl, so. dad. <laughs> so she would roll with me. And and while she was studying at the university, first thing she said, you know, I think I want to be a psychologist. Wow. And she is now a psychologist for the NBA. What? She's going to be moving over to you guys, to the WNBA. That's what's up. She played for four years in Division One. She's like, you know, she lived with me through all of this drama. And so I, I see the product of it all. And I said, wow, I... I just want to say on your show that if we would address mental health a little bit, yeah. just a little taste yeah. as black people and as all people, but especially black people, because we have so much we're burying and we had to have a different face 
for a different crowd, a different look, a different talk. If we could just get that little that little journey going, I'm telling you, look at me. I mean, and people know your life. So I think the look at you is a great example because unfortunately for athletes, we live our life in front of the public eye. So when we when we're on top of the world, everybody knows it. you're winning championships or the MVP. But also if you slip a little bit and you struggle a little bit, everyone knows it as well. I couldn't agree more, though, because even as I play, like we're talking about mental health, even like we've come so far in two years with when it comes to sports, because. What would somebody say back in your day if you said you needed to go talk to a therapist? Like, what would be the reaction from your team or your coaches? They told me that when I told guys, I said, hey, you know what? I, I was with the Bullets at the time. I was like, you know, hey, man, I, I got we got the, this practice is over. I'm going to see him. I was like, you're crazy. <laughs> exactly. I didn't know you were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm so glad you like because now the athletes are empowered even just in the general sense like athletes have a platform athletes have a voice like i'm talking to you right now on my platform and so there's a way to reach the world and so athletes are now talking about their mental health in a naomi osaka you know a kayla mcbride kevin love you know ben simmons yes and then those are just the ones that are talking up front but then you have another layer of players who are just really getting the necessarily help and not talking about it publicly. And when later on in my in my life, when I finished basketball, I, I got involved with the players union for the retired players. And I started scrapping saying, well, you know, hey guys, we need the same health insurance that these young guys got. So I'm going to ask them. I love it. <laughs> I actually love Chris Paul and those guys, man. Why can't we have a little health insurance like you guys got? And what do you say? He said, oh, that's all you want? Oh, gee. Oh, man, you got it. What? So y'all got good health care now? Yeah, they give us $16 million a year for health care for our families. So my next step was, all right, well, what about our W girls? You know, because they are finishing up and... They need full coverage like we like we got. And so I termed out. So now I'm getting ready to run again on the board. Oh, no, we got to get you back in the building, Smith. So get you back in the building so I can get this health care for the W. It's got to happen right now. We can't wait around two, three more years. Because you're talking about retired WNBA players getting the same type of health care benefits. I mean, it's crazy. We are that members of the same uh, organization. So, yeah. Yo, I love you because this is because it's like you're saying the make it make sense type of thing is how I say it, where it's like you're connecting the logical dots that need to be connected. But you've kind of been doing that all your life now that I'm looking at it from when you fought to against the NBA to be a part to where now you're fighting for health care and you're looking for another term to fight for us on our side, which I love it. I feel like there is this um, brotherhood, sisterhood that I always felt I had with NBA players and honestly, NFL players. You changed them. You did change the NBA players. They were like, well, I don't want to. I see what happened to Spencer Haywood. He got ostracized. So I'm not going to go out of my comfort zone. And you came along and said, hey, you guys got you're in the bubble. You have to do something. (laughs) And then they start wearing the jerseys. and, And all of a sudden, I'm like, Renee is helping 
to change politics in America. I was like, oh my God. Wow, thank you, Legend. Shouts to the WNBA players and everybody that took a stand at that time. And, you know, like right now, we are like in a little light argument, the Denver Nuggets and I, because I I thought I should have been the first player that they had on the floor during this finals mm. because I built the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the original MVP of this franchise as well. Wow. I was the original all-star uh, MVP for this franchise. Wow. So, hello, Denver. It was the Denver Rockets, actually, when you were playing, yeah. right? And then when they came over to the NBA side, it's still... No, it's before they came over to the NBA. They still... Was, it was the Denver Rockets, but... The ownership that I was telling you about earlier, uh-huh. the people in Denver was like, oh, man, these people got to go. And so they became the Denver Nuggets because they had no association with the Rockets, which was the rocket service of his truck line. So that's tough then because it's like they almost wanted to sever ties with the Denver Rockets. And you're saying, I mean, that history is a part of the history, but they're, um, they almost probably feel like a completely different franchise. Is that what's going on here? No, no, no. They accepted David Thompson, all the other players from Mm -hmm. the ADA. And so it is the same franchise. It has not changed hand or anything other than, you know, it's changed hand for a minute, but no. Wow. No. I mean, well, they got to show you love then. Well, you know, they might do the right thing. They might bring. They me need in. to retire your jersey. I think then. That's what they said they was going to do, and okay. but they haven't done it yet. So. So it's coming. I just have to. So you know, like I think is I be, I'm like toxic positivity in a sense of I believe that people are going to come around and do the right thing. You are a legend. Like you're a sitting Hall of Fame legend sitting right in front of me that's battled the Supreme Court. You got your own Haywood role now. Like you have done, you fought for healthcare for the MBPA is the association. Like you fight it for the retired players. Like you're a legend sitting amongst us. So, of course, the Denver Nuggets are going to do the right thing. Like, I find it hard to believe that they won't. It just hasn't happened yet, but everything. You know, all things come on God's time and not on my time, because I gave you an example when I got in charge, when I stepped back off and said, oh, God, let me be in charge. I got high. Okay. <laughs> I love how you can laugh and talk about it now. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> That's what happened with me. I was like, hey, man, I'm in charge. I'm Spencer Haywood, baby. You started feeling yourself, huh? <laughs> then I went begging back. Oh, please take me back. Take yeah. me back. Life humbled you quick, but I love that you came all the way around. And honestly, like if you're ever in Atlanta, you need to pull up on us in a game for the Atlanta dream because I feel like we always, first of all, I feel like you and I are connected just by history and life and ancestry always. But whenever you're in Atlanta, Anna, please come through because you can see the WNBA. We're almost where the NBA was at the time you were playing, probably the same time age range. So from what you've seen, what like do you foresee for the WNBA and how do we get there? How do we make those big strides? The I mean, WNBA is the new journey for all sports right now because you guys are just, we're just now starting to accept women basketball, women movement as a reality. And you have been behind the scenes all all of the time because you are my mothers, my sisters. You've always been there. So now you're getting that platform. And I I 
I mean, we're, we're crazy out here about the aces. <laughs> I was with Mickey Vargas uh, yeah. Saturday night. We were having a, a black tie affair. Uh, I just see it's growing. And I, I must take a, uh, my hat off to David Stern, who who wanted this yeah. WNBA to be powerful and big. And I, I just hate he didn't get a chance to see it as it's growing. And right now, after I get y'all health insurance. Okay. <laughs> and do you know I'm building one other thing that I'm building? I am building with my money, and I'm asking the players to help uh, with that. As I am building a retirement center with the university, uh, Roseman University here in Las Vegas, a retirement center for NBA and WNBA ladies to come, take a break. If you need to stay long-term, fine, but we have all the medical staff, everybody wow. that can help and expand our healthcare and all of our services so that you guys will have the full um, uh, capacity as the NBA have, because we have a lot of programs in the NBA and we need to bring them over to the W because wow. our mothers and our sisters. Oh, man. I can't thank you enough. Like, I really can't because I like when people say you get it, you can't, you get it. And uh, I feel like the space that we're in right now, that's why I really wanted to talk to you because you've lived it, breathed it. Now you've watched the NBA just catapult into a mega business and good for the NBA. And I always say for the WNBA, we're on that same trajectory Maybe we want to speed it up a little bit because I'm excited for things to change because I like the one thing that always pops in my mind is player lifestyle and how I think that professional athletes should feel like professional athletes should be treated like professional athletes and everything around them should be professional. And so I feel like we're getting there with the WNBA and obviously with help from people like you. Um, we'll we'll get there a little bit faster just with allies always. We got a new part owner here. Tom Brady is part owner of so you're gonna see those NBA greats are going to start purchasing and buying in. Let, let, me buy, let me buy some stock with the dream. Let me get a little taste. So it's going to rise that ship all the way up to the level where the NBA is. And and you guys gonna have to be paid. You know, you can't, you can't. You cannot pay your players. So That's and we the don't step. the Britain the Grinder situation have to go overseas to to get paid equity. Uh, and now you I watch the games, you're on ABC, you're all over. So I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I remember the ABA. I remember the NBA when we were like uh tape delayed uh ball games. So how your stuff. family watched the games? How'd y'all watch the games? The game was over. The NBA games at that time was the games were over. And then they would come on again that night and everybody was like, I know the score. I kind of figured that, but I would just, you know, I always like for people to understand the then and now. I'm talking to you right now. You played in tape delay and now you see where it's come. So that's why in a lifetime, look at how far we've come. Spencer Haywood, I can't thank you enough for pulling up on the show and just telling your truth, honestly, because it's not easy to be transparent. But I think that your story, I hope that people listening can just really realize like, wow, what an incredible journey you've had, what you've grown through everything that you've been through and even your legacy. Like, I can't wait for the Denver Nuggets to retire everything that you got. Right. But also uh, Lionsgate has just purchased the Spencer Haywood movie, the rights for the movie. I'm sitting 
this is not my mansion I'm sitting in. This is my producer. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a big budget. It is uh, Lion Gates with uh, the brothers who do Power, all of those series. Mark Canton, who does all the series. Vassell Benford, who is a a record mogul from uh, Sony and all the other big companies. He's one of the executive producers. And my last one is Terrell Harris. We have a large budget, too. Wow. Congratulations. First of all, congratulations, because your story is going to be told as it should be. It's historical. Like you are a part of history. This is crazy. The original guy that we had tapped to play me was Will Smith. So what happened? Well, you know, with the slap. So that's, they still uh, talk about it, but I, I don't have no problem with it because I'm, you know, I have problems anyway. So to <laughs> play me. Yeah, I'm good. Wow. So, okay. So is that who you wanted? Like, did you pick out Will Smith or it was like, they was like, this is. I don't like him. I like him a lot. What? You know? If Will Smith plays you, that's, yeah, that would be crazy. It, oh, that yeah, that's, that's the budget they have for this film. Yeah, they not playing. Y'all not playing. We looked at Idris. They've been looking at some really... You know, Idris probably could play you now that I'm looking. Like, I think Idris might be a, a, a comp for real. Well, you know, his buddy plays me in the, uh, in the, in the, in the HBO movie, Wood Harris. Oh, my goodness. I think you just dropped some, like real breaking news on me like what let's go we're talking a big budget come on like this is a movie this is a blockbuster movie that's being made and it's about you wow congratulations when does it come out we you're gonna have to come back before it comes come out back. yeah and i'm gonna probably we're probably gonna have to shoot something in atlanta let's go we got too much history in atlanta not for you not to come over here so Man. Yeah, and you got a studio there. Tyler Perry Studios is, yes, he built his own. He said if they don't let him at the table, he's going to build his own. And his table is right here in Georgia. Well, that's the other side. That's me and Iman's side and Oprah and all of us on that other side. Because the story is just not about Spencer Hayward. It's about Iman and our relationship, what we went through and how we came out on the other side, how our children. Are y'all still and- together? No, we're not not still oh. together. She married David Bowie later. Oh, I should have known that probably. I married Linda. Okay. And, and we we were together for 36 years and then she passed this year. I'm sorry to hear that. Wow. So your story is going to be told the full story. Did I hear you say Oprah? I just there's so much happening. Yeah, but see all of all of us Iman and I never we never broke like, you know, like people fighting like this and that mm-hmm. because when when it came time for when we were divorcing, we made a choice that, well, you was, she was still working. I had just retired from the NBA. So I took the daughter and she said, you can raise the daughter and we'll, we'll jointly raise her. And that's how I ended up raising my first daughter with uh, Iman jointly. Wow. I mean, I can't wait to watch the movie. Okay. I'm just being honest. Like I can't wait. I can't wait to watch everything and then just watch you just glowing and, and just, excel because look what you've done look at your life i mean i can't thank you enough for joining the show and telling like i said the transparency of it all we will be on the lookout hall of famer spencer haywood thank you for joining montgomery and company thank you man 
that was a conversation and a half. I mean, I want to ask a hundred questions. I have more questions. I have more things that I want to talk to the legend Spencer about because hearing people and how they got to their goals, that's the thing. It's like he had goals, he had plans, he wanted to do things, but he really made it happen. Like the Haywood rule. I didn't even get into the Nike thing that happened with his Nike deal. Like there are so many things that happened, but that's why we need to talk to the legends of the game or talk to even talk to your grandma. Talk to your grandpa. Like they know stuff too. When you talk to people that have lived different lives and in different generations, you learn so much. And it's always about a generational thing here at MoCo. We'll see y'all next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.